Good morning, church. I pray that you are warm. I pray that you are well. I pray that you are healthy or on the road back to health. I know quite a few of our folks who have gotten sick over the last couple of weeks, and we are praying. Whatever the situation in which you find yourself, know that you are loved. You are not alone. We are in this together, and we will continue to journey together no matter what we face in the coming days. If you have a Bible, if you want to follow along, I would encourage you to open up Genesis 34, and we're going to look at some verses that last week as we continue this new study about who is God. Exodus 34, 6, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, maintaining steadfast love to thousands or the thousandth generation, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and generation. So I was in fifth grade, It was near the end of class one day, and the teacher let us know that now was the time to pass in our test if we had remembered to get our parents to sign it the night before. See, the day before at the end of class, she had handed back tests, and she said, if you take this home, if you get one of your parents to sign it, I will give you five extra credit points on the test. And when she made that announcement, that's when it hit me. My test, the test she had handed back the day before, was still sitting in the Trapper Keeper folder for that class where I had left it the day before. I forgot to take it home. I forgot to get it signed, which meant I would not get those five extra points on the test And I didn't need those five extra points, but I wanted those five extra points. And I was disappointed. I was devastated that I forgot to take it home. And that's when I had an idea, a a flash of brilliance, if you will. I would forge my mother's signature on the test so I could get those five extra points. But I'm no dummy. I I know I've got to disguise my own handwriting somehow so that my fifth grade boy handwriting looks like something that my mother might write. And so this is what I decided to do. I would write her signature, but I would write it faster and sloppier than I normally wrote my own signature. And surely my teacher would not be able to see that it was actually me who wrote it. So just in case you're getting lost, let me walk you through the logic that was going through my brain at that time. My strategy was to take my already sloppy fifth grade handwriting 
And by the way, have you seen a fifth grade boy's handwriting before? It looks like their desk is the epicenter of an earthquake, 7.9 on a Richter scale. Every time they write, it looks like tremors are going through that thing, or an EEG test is showing up on their page. So I would take my already sloppy, illegible fifth grade handwriting, and I would write it faster and sloppier, hoping that would pass as my mom's signature on the page. So we pass the tests in. And I don't know how, but somehow my teacher saw through the ruse. And she's collecting the tests and she looks through and at that point she says from the front, Bert, can I speak with you when the class is dismissed? It's like an explosion went off in my head, an explosion of, of shame and fear, and I don't know what happened for the rest of those few minutes. I didn't hear anything else. I just watched as my classmates left the room, and then I shuffled up, head down to her desk in shame. She said, are you sure this is your mom's signature? No, ma'am. You know it was just five extra credit points. It wasn't required. Yes, ma'am. She shook her head. Said, you can go on to your next class. Yes, ma'am. And I shuffled out of that room and I was utterly ashamed. And I was a little bit confused. What just happened? What's about to happen? Is it done? Am I free? Because I don't feel free. I still feel stuck in the shame and embarrassment and the fear of what I had done and getting caught. That was a Wednesday. And the reason I remember it was a Wednesday is because we went to church that night. And the reason I remember that we went to church that night is because my teacher went to the same church that we went to. And she was friends with my parents. And she saw my parents that night. And she talked with my parents that night. Now, I did not know that she saw them and she talked with them. I did my best to move on with the day. I went to class at church and then I played with my friends in the gym after church and then I went home and it's not as if all that I had been through was completely out of my mind, but it was definitely sort of on the back burner of my thinking so that when I got home and my parents called me into their bedroom, I, I did not see what was coming. I just saunter in happy and excited. What's up, mi madre and mi padre? They said, we saw Mrs. Jones at church tonight. 
Now let me put a pin in that story. I'll come back to it. I want to circle back to the passage that I introduced you to last week and that I read at the beginning of the sermon this morning from Exodus 34. This is a passage I told you last week that is quoted in Scripture more than any other passage in Scripture. And the question we started to ask last week is, why? And the answer seems to me that when the prophets, when the priests, when the biblical writers look back on this passage hundreds of years later, or more than a thousand years later, what they see in this passage, when God reveals God's character, is that there is something special about what God shows that is fundamental to the identity of God, that is fundamental to God's core qualities. Sometimes when people try to describe the qualities and characteristics of God today, gravitate toward large theological and philosophical constructs, right? So they'll talk about that God is omnipotent or omniscient or omnipresent. Pretty much if you start a word with omni, you know something significant, something special is about to follow. And there's some other sort of Greek ideas that people will throw out. God is immutable, meaning he's unchangeable, he doesn't change. Or people will sometimes say, God is impassable, which means God doesn't feel, he's not moved by emotion, like God is a robot that's only concerned about the raw data. God is like Spock in the Star Trek shows, that he's a Vulcan, he's not feeling. He's not moved by that which is illogical. But what does God reveal in this passage? What do people of faith for hundreds and thousands of years keep circling back to from this revelation? Yahweh, Yahweh, I am, I am a God who is compassionate which some might say, you sure you don't want to start with omniscient? Because that one sounds really awe-inspiring. God says, and gracious. Someone might say, you sure you don't want to lean into omnipresent? Because that, that speaks to being everywhere at all times. God says, I'm slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Not that parts of those other descriptions aren't true, but when God wants to show God's true character, it's these things that he reveals. And it's these things that people of faith keep coming back to over and over and over again. And it's not just what God says, but it's the context in which he says it. So just a reminder By the time we get to Exodus 34, the people of Israel are not at their best. In fact, you could say they are at their 
worst. Because after God has delivered them with a mighty hand and said, I want to enter into a special, special covenant relationship with you, the people agreed in Exodus 19, we're all in. And then just to make sure they're still up to the task, they come back to it in chapter 24. They say, we're still all in. But when Moses is alone with God on the mountain and he's taking a little too long, the people begin to build an idol to represent God, immediately breaking the covenant they had committed to God. And not only do they build an idol, but then they get into a sort of drunken orgy in the story. It is not a good time for the people of Israel. And God is hurt, and God is upset, and how does God respond? He doubles down in his commitment. And when Moses says, will you reveal yourself? Will you show me your glory? This is what God reveals. Yahweh, Yahweh, I am, I am a God who is compassionate. The Hebrew word used to describe compassion is rahum. And it is a deeply emotional word. It's like a parent's deep feeling love for their children. And we encountered it last week when we heard from Psalm 103. Here's just a taste of that, starting in verse 7. God made his ways, uh, made known his ways to Moses his deeds to the people of Israel. And what does he make known? Well, we already know. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And the psalmist goes on to describe how that plays out. But look at verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. There's our word. Or in 1 Kings 3, you probably remember this story. There are two ladies, two mothers who show up between King Solomon, and they're both claiming that a baby before them is theirs. And Solomon eventually decides, okay, the only way to figure out who the right mother is, is I'm going to tell them to cut the baby in half. And one of the ladies, the lady who's not the real mother, is like, works for me. Just make sure I get a good half. But the other mother has a different response. In verse 26, she was deeply stirred over her son. Or the NRSV says, compassion for her son burned within her. There's our word again. Please, my Lord, give her the living boy. Certainly do not kill him. And this is a fitting story for the word compassion because the root word for compassion in Hebrew is the same as the Hebrew word for a mother's womb. When we talk about someone feeling something deeply, and we do that in kind of common terms, common vernacular, we'll say that we feel it deep in our gut, in our stomach. And this is getting to the same general region of the body, but it is more beautiful and more maternal. This is connected to the womb. It shows a connection, a bond that a mother has with a child, even before the child is born. 
And in that connection, when the mother gives birth and the, the mother nurses the child and nurtures the child and cares for the child and cuddles, cuddles the child, and it is this deep-seated emotion, this empathy, this connection to creation that God leads off with when he describes his connection to all of those that he's made, even when his children mess up. And his children happen to mess up quite a bit, which is what we see is the topic of conversation in Isaiah 49. Israel falls into the pattern that happens over and over in the Old Testament. They fall away. They rebel. Something bad goes on and they cry out to God. And in Isaiah 49, 14, Israel is complaining that they've cried out, but God's not listening anymore. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And God responds, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion? There's our word on the child he has born. And the implied answer is no, absolutely not. No good mother, no sane mother would do that. But just in case, we can come up with some example that is the exception to the rule. Then God continues, though she may forget, I will never forget you. And here's the other key to God's compassion that I want you to grab onto. God's compassion leads action. Now, we live in a time when it is easier than ever to be moved but do nothing, to be moved but offer no help, to be moved but only move so much in that we forward a post or we like a tweet or we heart a picture. We're moved and we think someone should really do something about that. But when God is moved, moves into action. God forgives, God redeems, God releases, God rescues, God restores. Nehemiah 9 describes that pattern that I've already talked about. That Israel will rebel, they'll turn away from God, and something bad will happen, and so they'll cry out to God, and God will draw them in, God will rescue, God will redeem once again. And so we see that in Nehemiah 9, from heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But in the next verse, Nehemiah says, then they just rinse and repeat. They fall into the same cycle, the same pattern all over again. God rescues them, they draw near to God, and then they rebel. They turn their back on God, and something happens, and so they cry out to God. But God never brushes them aside. God never writes them off. This is not in God's nature. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion, you, you delivered them time after time. God. If you were to describe yourself in two verses or less, if you were to show your glory 
to your people, if you were to reveal your true character, if you were to disclose your true nature right after your people betray you and turn their back on the covenant they've just made with you, and then they do that again and again and again, what would you say? Well, what is the first thing he says? I am, I am a God who is compassionate. So I'm in fifth grade, and I tried to forge my mom's signature for five measly extra credit points on a test, and I was busted, and I was humiliated, and I was ashamed and I was afraid, and my teacher let me go, but I wasn't really free because the embarrassment of what I'd done and getting caught in what I'd done continued to go with me, and I tried to go through my day, and I tried to go through my night, and I did, but my parents found out. Went to church with my teacher. I got home. They called me into the room. We talked with Mrs. Jones tonight at church. And that's all they said. That's all they had to say. A wave of shame washed back over me, and I lost it. Snotty sobs and sorries came pouring out, and I was a puddle on their bed. And I don't know how long I stayed there. I just remember what I saw when I looked up. And what I saw was tears in my parents' eyes, too. There was no angry threats. There were no diatribes about disappointment. There was no additional punishment. Whatever the teacher decided, that was going to be enough. And besides, they could see I had been punishing myself enough since that moment. So they did something instead unexpected. All they did was reassure me that they loved me and they would always love me. It was an unconditional love. And they told me that they forgave me. And then they shared stories from their childhood about times when they had messed up. I got in trouble at other times growing up. I don't remember many of the details of those times. But I remember this time. Because instead of condemnation, I was met with compassion. And I am convinced that is what we need most from one another. And that is what our neighbors need most from us. They don't need us to be their accusers. They need us to be their advocates. To be people who uh, convince them, remind them that God is a compassionate God. They don't need from us condemnation. They need compassion. And compassion is what God offers. Because compassion is who God 
is. Time after time after time. So we're going to close this service in prayer this morning. Let me pray over you before you go through the rest of your day. Father, we thank you that when you reveal to your people your true character, that compassion starts off the description. We thank you for that deep compassion you have for all that you have made. Like the, the love and bond a mother has over her children. And we find comfort in your compassion this morning. For all those times, not just when we're at our best, but when we are at our worst. And so we look to you again and again, not, not to take advantage of your great compassion. And yet we look to you because we know we are dependent upon your great compassion. And so we take comfort and we take hope. And we pray that through your compassion, you will continue to mold us and shape us into your image. And we pray that the compassion we receive would be compassion that we give to those around us. And we pray this through Jesus' name. Amen. Live in the confidence of God's compassion for you this week.